Welcome to the Burning Archive, the podcast where the past is not dead, the past is not even past, and where by thinking about the past, we try to live better in the present. And this is not just any episode of the Burning Archive, this is the 50th first anniversary edition, special commemorative edition of the Burning Archive. And I thought I'd do a quickly improvised show this week to talk a little bit about what I mean when I say what thou lovest well will not be reft from thee. That is the question on today's first anniversary 50th edition of the Burning Archive. Okay, I'm Jeff Rich. I'm a writer, historian, podcaster, poet, and very minor government official. And wow, quite a milestone really to get to a whole year of podcasting and actually 50 episodes of of the Burning Archive. Uh, So as well as taking a little bit of a a look back and a reminder of some of the great things we've talked about on the show over the last year. Uh, Today I just wanted to talk a little bit about one of the little phrases that I use on the Burning Archive podcast, what thou lovest well will not be reft from thee, which I use as a bit of a sign out uh, phrase for the show. So but before I do that, I thought I'd just do a little bit of marketing and ask everyone to leave us a review on iTunes, uh, give us a positive rating, uh, share the show with your friends by word of mouth or social media or whatever means you have available. If you're another podcaster or YouTuber, give us a shout out and... uh, help spread the word about the Burning Archive because I'm keen to share all the good stuff of the Burning Archive with as many people as possible. So do do that. And if you want to get in touch with me at the Burning Archive, you can do that by email, which is uh, theburningarchive at gmail.com. Or you can uh, connect with me on my website, uh, theburningarchive.com, or on Twitter at archiveburning. Do leave us a message and a shout out and spread the word about the show that way. Uh, And like, subscribe, leave us a positive rating and review. Okay, so... On the Burning Archive, I will uh, typically end the show by saying, what thou lovest well will not be reft from thee. Which sort of goes along with one of the taglines for the show, which is uh, that the past is not dead, the past is not even past. And that line comes from William Faulkner in the novel Requiem for a Nun and I guess reflects a sense of the abiding presence of history which I guess is very much what this show is about Uh, 
emerging from my own interest and curiosity about history and reflecting on the history of our times and how we might interpret the big events like Afghanistan and Ukraine and political decay, cultural decay, social fragmentation and imperial rivalry in that broader historical context. And the other my phrase that what thou lovest well shall not be reft from thee uh, similarly reflects that abiding concern for history and and I guess for not losing touch uh, with traditions and uh, canons and with the meaningful words spoken in the past, uh, the beautiful art produced in the past, the beautiful music, the treasures of art, architecture, living heritage, all sorts of uh, cultural hand-me-downs from uh, people who lived before us and have some kind of wisdom which although they may not have had exactly our views still reflects some profound insights into the world that we can learn from and we can share and we can hand on to ourselves I guess and also to uh, those who will follow us and that is I guess the sentiment that I see there and I guess it's also about approaching the past not in a critical and judgmental way but in a way that is respectful and loving I guess in order to hang on to those uh, valuable, enduring kernels of tradition and wisdom and insight, or if not any of that, at least meaning uh, the living presence, I guess, of the dead uh, amongst us. Uh, And the phrase, what thou lovest well shall not be reft from thee, is given to me, extra meaning by uh, the context in which it was expressed because it is from a poem by the poet Ezra Pound which was written in between 1945 and 1948. It's in Canto 81 of his uh, cantos which is a vast, complicated piece of uh, poetry And Ezra Pound is a a very complex, uh, in some ways divisive, in some ways controversial, uh, and in some ways extraordinarily influential and and, um, moving uh, figure from 20th century literature. So this line uh, comes from Canto uh, 81, and... Uh, I'll, I'll read a longer section of the, uh, the canto. I mean, the canto goes through about four or five pages of poetry. I'll read about a page or so a bit later on in the podcast, but before I get into explaining some of the context for it, the the, the single phrase I, I said, this is the broader uh, stanza in which it stands. So... What thou lovest well remains, 
the rest is dross. What thou lovest well shall not be reft from thee. What thou lovest well is thy true heritage. Whose world, or mine, or theirs, or is it of none? First came the scene, then thus the palpable Elysium, though I were in the halls of hell. What thou lovest well is thy true heritage. What thou lovest well shall not be reft from thee. It's a line that evokes that sense of what's really important in one's life, what's really important in the culture, what's really important in one's personal history that one will want to leave beyond one, either as a poet or as a podcaster or just as some uh, struggling person uh, trying to make sense of modern life. What is the true heritage that one wants to leave? And as I said, this poem is especially evocative because it uh, was, or at least begun, if not finished as a poem, written in a cage, in a, a kind of a like a prisoner of war camp in uh, Pisa in Italy where Ezra Pound, the poet, was detained at the end of World War Two. How on earth did a poet end up writing a canto in the cage under the in the sort of hot sun of a Pisan summer? after the defeat of fascism in Italy and Germany in 1945. Well, Ezra Pound uh, was a remarkable poet and a remarkable personality, and there's something about his story that's always uh, fascinated and moved me, I guess, and also something about this poem being... Uh, something of a triumph and a voice from uh, the depths of despair and madness that has also always appealed to me and why I guess I use it at the end of my podcast. Pound, Ezra Pound, was born in 1885 and he lived until 1972. He was born in America, in Idaho, no less in the American Northwest, and uh, grew up... Uh, and determined to make himself the most uh, well-educated and professional of poets. He moved to London in the early 20th century and there there published some of his first work, uh, self-published, I should say, some of his first work for £50 or something, Uh, you know, in some small run edition. And he, as well as being a poet and a scholar of poetry and literary culture, was something of a, I guess, a impresario. He, he was a, he he put on events. He he sponsored other poets. He uh, ran magaz- magazines. He beca- he was a bit of a. Uh, you know, a uh, source of energy and a 
a bit of a dynamo in that immediate pre-1914 culture that gave gave birth to literary modernism, really, I guess. Proust, Eliot, Yeats, uh, so many others. Virginia Woolf, uh, Gertrude Stein, many, many, James Joyce, many, many others. And Ezra Pound was one of those critical figures. But he was a deeply eclectic and eccentric man. He uh, was incredibly influenced by Chinese poetry and he developed this sort of theory of images, imagism. The most famous of those poems is called In a Station of the Metro, which has, I think, 14 words. It's sort of almost um, haiku-ish, and if you like, and it goes, the apparition of these Faces in the crowd, petals on a wet black bough, B-O-U-G-H. So heavily influenced by Chinese poetry, in a way Chinese philosophy, he, he um, uh, wrote Chinese to some degree, uh, but extraordinarily uh, eclectic and widely versed in uh, different traditions. After World War One, uh, during the nineteen twenties, Ezra Pound started to change some of his poetic style, and he began this vast, long project of writing the cantos, which were originally conceived as telling, I guess, the story of the Odyssey, the sort of seafarer story story of the epic hero's visit to the underworld and it would ultimately develop as over a hundred separate but related poems uh, which he was writing until the end of his life and some of which are, are quite strange indeed some of which are almost like documentary collections of political philosophies and all sorts of other things, but others are profoundly moving and lyrical uh, pieces of poetry. But Pound also uh, absorbed a kind of rugged republicanism, I guess, from his American tradition and grew increasingly ill at ease with his with modern culture, I guess. He saw uh, deeper and and better traditions in Chinese literature and the classics, as well as in the troubadour tradition, which I think I discussed in one of the episodes on the history of the Crusades. And that led Pound into a growing obsession with a, a dislike for modern finance systems and there was a, a I guess a broad American tradition of, sort of social credit I guess that that uh, endorsed that but also a deep and increasingly vicious anti-semitism and having moved to Italy in I think the mid-1920s uh, in Rapallo, he became uh, 
growingly attracted to Italian fascism. Indeed, sponsored or, or, you know, sought the patronage of Mussolini and saw connections to how Mussolini was rebuilding the Italian economy to be a less, I guess, Anglo-American capitalist economy and a more corporatist sort of state uh, and similarities with some of the American traditions of Jefferson, Madison and others. But with that was a a bitter and nasty anti-Semitism, some of which comes out indeed in the cantos. And it led him during the World War Two uh, to make many broadcasts, uh, radio broadcasts from Rome under the sponsorship of the fascist regime and throughout the war. And it was for this reason. Oh, and, and in these broadcasts he attacked, he, he, he argued that there was uh, a need for America to return to its original constitution against its sort of more recent perversions. But he also ranted a fair bit with uh, fairly bilious hatred towards uh, Jews. Uh, of course, while uh, many horrible, horrible crimes were being perpetrated against the Jewish people in Germany and across Europe. For his troubles, after the American and other allied liberation of Italy, Ezra Pound was taken prisoner and charged with treason for his many radio broadcasts in support of the Italian government. And it is for that reason that he ended up in a cage Uh, at the U.S. Army Disciplinary Training Centre north of Pisa. And it was in that cage where it would seem he most likely, from exhaustion or stress or otherwise, had uh, some form of mental illness, uh, at least acute mental distress, that he began writing uh, the Pisan cantos, which are a group of cantos, including the canto 81, from which my phrase, what thou lovest well, will not be reft from thee. And so you see this extraordinarily gifted, educated poet who has, in a way, vast achievements um, before him, who has yet been brought down by his own, uh, I guess, obsessions with politics and with uh, the particular social ideas which perhaps poets are not all that well equipped to advise on. Incredibly erudite in terms of literary scholarship, but perhaps not terribly wise in terms of economic, social, let alone uh, foreign policy. And deeply humiliated and ashamed, perhaps, and rethinking his, his approach to life, and perhaps regretful, uh, perhaps barely aware of how he can 
pull together the different strands of his personality in some sensible, clear way to make do with his capabilities and uh, what his great strengths are. And yet producing this great art. And as it happens, um, he was shipped over to America where he was put on trial for treason which of course carries the death penalty and there was more than uh, one literary artist who was shot for collaborating with the Nazis or the fascist regimes in World War II Uh, Robert Brasillac I think was one famous French uh, author who who collaborated with the Nazis or the Vichy regime the Nazis and um, was then shot uh, executed after the war but Ezra Pound uh, pleaded insanity and there was a you know uh, a major court case arguing whether or not whether he could rightly plead the insanity defence you know not guilty on the grounds of mental incompetence it was decided in the end that he was insane not guilty and he was then he was then um, admitted to a a psychiatric hospital a mental hospital in uh, outside New York St Elizabeth's I think and there's a remarkable book called In the Bug House that actually traces the traces the story of the the years Ezra Pound spent in that uh, asylum and the visitors he received this sort of literary salon that he developed around there um, where I guess his reputation was redeemed um, and he ultimately then moved back to Italy in I think the early 1960s and lived out the last parts of his life. And it was in that latter part of his life that the recording that I sometimes play of Ezra Pound himself reading from this canto comes. And this story has long fascinated me. And a few years ago on my blog, I I sort of wrote a brief piece about it where I said, if modernism was a kind of renaissance of this last century, as the critic Peter Craven intimates, then Ezra Pound is surely one of the greatest and most troubling figures of these dying generations, this botched civilization. His poetry reaches across cultures and centuries like a prophet in a tower. He is the great progenitor whose heritage is stained by both his politics and his madness overshadowing his political achievements and the magnificent difficult music of the cantos are his failures as a man of judgment broadcaster for Mussolini convicted traitor but speared by a sentence of insanity caged outside Pisa where in the end or in the arid ruins of Europe he sang the broken magnificent threnodies the Defiant laments of Canto 81, What thou lovest well shall not be reft from thee. Unlike and in the reading that I sometimes play, Pound's voice gives an extraordinary timbre to his lines, 
a shaking echo of suffering. And then there is the great controversy of his stay in St. Elizabeth's lunatic asylum. Was he mad? Was he bad? Was his poetry the mind of was his poetry spawned from a mind of poison or a mind of greatness? Strange that pound should not be a symbol of the language of madness in Michel Foucault's histories of madness. Was the salon he kept an indulgence? Were the poets who gathered around him and forgave him his misjudgments naive fools, willing traitors, unwitting collaborators with the atrocities of anti-Semitism? What do I learn from Pound? Neither acclaim nor ostracism can extinguish the voice. Neither tradition nor its breaking can constrain the voice. Neither madness nor politics can define the voice. Out of the cages of our lives, we sing our greatest cantos. And so let me then read um, a fuller passage from Canto 81 that gives some that perhaps now you can sense the deeper resonance of these lines uh, coming from a man in such circumstances and a mind so mixed up and torn about by both its own thinking and overthinking and it's the madness of both his mind and also the madness of his times. What thou lovest well remains, the rest is dross. What thou lovest well shall not be reft from thee. What thou lovest well is thy true heritage, whose world or mine or theirs, or is it of none? First came the scene, then thus the palpable Elysium, though it were in the halls of hell. What thou lovest well is thy true heritage. What thou lovest well shall not be reft from thee. The ants, a centaur, in his dragon world, pull down thy vanity. It is not man made courage, or made order, or made grace. Pull down thy vanity, I say, pull down. Learn of the green world what can be thy place in scaled invention or true artistry. Pull down thy vanity, packen, pull down. The green cask has outdone your elegance. Master thyself, then others shall thee bear. Pull down thy vanity. Thou art a beaten dog beneath the hail, a swollen magpie in a fitful sun, half black, half white, nor knowest our wing from tail. Pull down thy vanity, how mean thy hates, fostered in falsity. Pull down thy vanity, rather to destroy Nigard in char- charity, pull down thy vanity, I say, pull down. 
but to have done instead of not doing, this is not vanity. To have with decency knocked that a blunt should open, to have gathered from the air a live tradition, or from a fine old eye the unconquered flame, this is not vanity. Here error is all in the not done, all in the diffidence that faltered. So that is from Ezra Pound's Canto 81. And when I sign off on my episodes by saying, what thou lovest well shall not be reft from thee, I evoke something of Ezra Pound's voice in both its searching after a tradition and its restless discomfort with its own culture, its own times, its verging on both madness and an overschooled tradition. And I, most of all, I think, simply evoke that sense of, as Ezra Pound said in another poem, but the beauty is not the madness, though my errors and wrecks lie about me, and I am not a demigod, I cannot make it cohere, if love be not in the house, there is nothing. That's from Canto 116. One of the last things Pound wrote. And it is that sense of, well, who knows if anything that what we write or say on a podcast is mad or beautiful, error or truth, um, and making it all cohere entirely is not uh, perhaps within our power but at least we can pay true attention and care and give love to the things that are of most importance to us. And that is what I hope I do on the Burning Archive. Have perhaps a little bit more humour and lightheartedness than Ezra Pound did, uh, and certainly do not express some of Ezra Pound's less um, acceptable opinions. And I am so very pleased that you listeners have been able to join me now for 50 episodes of the Burning Archive podcast. Um, I am going to be keeping on going with the podcast. Looking forward very much to continuing the uh, episodes related to gaming that were in response to questions by Isaac Rich and another one of those is coming up over Easter and I've also got one last episode on uh, geopolitics where I'll be responding to a question from a listener about uh, some of the discussion around Russia and Ukraine but I, I think I'll probably take a bit of a break from geopolitics after that we now are in election campaign mode in Australia so I want to not make any particular comment on major political issues for a while and I'll sort of announce my plans for 
the next uh, series of episodes for all the podcast in due course. But in the meantime, do tell your friends or your connections or your social media contacts uh, about the uh, Burning Archive podcast. Share it about. I hope this episode has given you a bit of a feeling for what I mean when I say take care of yourself. Remember that the past is not dead. The past is not even past. And remember that what thou lovest well will not be reft from thee. Bye now. <laughs>